Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this uh, dark Friday morning, because that's when we're recording. We're recording this at 5 in the morning on Friday uh, by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you on this dark Friday morning? It's how dedicated we are. We get up when it's dark. We work like in a mine with no windows, no doors, and then we stop working and it's dark again. I yeah. Mean, that's how dedicated we are to this. Yeah, so any news that happened Thursday night, you can rest assured, we who are recording this right now, <laughs> we know about it. We know everything that's happened, say, in the hours from, I, I'm just going to pick a random time, 3 p.m. on Thursday through 5 a.m. again right now on Friday. We know all of the all of the information that has happened in those moments. We know it all. Let's start this over because you completely jinxed this. There's going to be major news for the rest of the next. Well, well, no, but we but not the next, the past. But we know about it all because we're recording this on Friday morning at. at It is so cute the way we do this. Isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. it's beautiful. It's adorable. Well, we actually have things to talk about, so we can't just jackass around here forever, unfortunately, because we would like yeah. to do that. Um, so we are at, you might not have noticed, but we are at the halfway point of UCLA fall camp. Yay! <laughs> Dave, Dave, you, you kind of need, a, I wouldn't say an attitude adjustment. but Me? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that was really funny. <laughs> I mean, there has you have to just have some kind of sense of excitement about UCLA football. Somewhere dig deep down in there and get some excitement. I've got it. It's right there. Okay. It's present. It's in the front part of my mind right now. You kind of called it up a couple of weeks ago when you said it's you know it's going to be very interesting to see how some of these guys develop and what they grow into and if they emerge this year. I really like that when you did that. Yeah. It's like watching the next coach's farm team. <laughs> okay. Well, it is halfway. <laughs> so let's talk about, obviously, as you all know, we are not able to watch practice from that so comfortable, beloved perch we have at Lot 8. Um, we have we, we flew that drone over and they shot it down. Amazingly enough. And then we flew over the second one that was stealth mode, and their advanced radar technology also managed to shoot that one down. Yeah. it's You heard about uh, the guy who's been flying over L.A. in a jetpack. Yeah. That well, was that us. was me. That was me. Yeah. 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 Um, it's but amazing I didn't, I how much make... they've invested in – I mean, Chip Kelly's really brought a lot of money into the program because I didn't know that they had weapons-grade radar you know, until this week, like those surface to air missiles, those were no joke. And, you know, that's just a sign of the seriousness of the UCLA football program these days. I got a, um, I got a room in Luskett. I specifically asked Mm -hmm. for a room that faces the field. I was in there for not longer, didn't even unpack. I was in there for about 45 seconds and this UCLA football SWAT team came in and took me away. Yeah. I mean, that's how serious they've got a SWAT team now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. you just got out of a black site, I think. <laughs> so, but we can cobble together some things that uh, we've heard publicly, and then there's been a few leaks of 
you know, there are always sources, there are always people that want to talk. You know how that is. So um, let's go over that, Dave. First, just injuries, personnel news that we do know. Uh, the last we had heard, running back Martel Irby um, has been out with an injury and he's not practicing. Uh, defensive lineman Martin Andrus coming off that uh, ACL, which he injured in warm-ups in a game last year, um, has not practiced. Uh, Coach Kelly seems kind of... Um, I would say he sounds kind of uncertain about a time frame for uh, Martin. Stephen Mason is under quarantine. He was uh, exposed to someone with coronavirus and doing the math, since we're so good at that. He should come out of his 14-day quarantine by middle of next week, I think. Punter Colin Flintoff is undergoing surgery on at least one of his hips, I think two, and he's out for the season. And then safety Kenny Churchwell uh, opted out of the season because of COVID-19. Those are the personnel issues. Oh, we do know evidence of Joku, the transfer tight end, uh, announced on Instagram he was granted a waiver for immediate eligibility by the NCAA. So he plugs in, which is good with how much UCLA uses its tight end. It's kind of a good thing to have, you know, uh, what is that, the fourth scholarship tight end? So yeah. that's, that's having, good. having some on the roster is good. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the personnel that we've heard. Um, I have heard Dorian Thompson Robinson does look, as you would expect, looks, you know, incrementally better. Uh, you can see in some of his photos, he's, he's a bit bigger physically, a little bit probably thicker, lower body. Um, people have noticed that he's throwing with more confidence, like he's more familiar with the offense. Uh, you know, in that interview with him yesterday, I got muted fast. I just, when he was talking about his own improvement, I just really wanted to ask him, you know, looking back on last year, when he was talking about his turnovers, he brought it up, actually, his 19 turnovers, what he thought when he just literally turns his back to the offensive line and runs backwards. But <laughs> I, was, I was muted, Dave. <laughs> it's, it's really weird doing interviews because you're so used to be able to, you've got a rhythm going with the other guys who were standing around, you know, like Ben Bolts of the LA Times. We kind of got that knowing look at each other, like who's going to go. You can't do that on Zoom. And you're trying to get in your follow-up and you get muted. It's, it's really, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, from what I've heard, uh, grad running back uh, transfer from Duke, uh, uh, Britton Brown, is, is probably going to get a bulk, uh, a bulk of Joshua Kelly's carries. Uh, Dimitri Felton is still going to be the starter. He'll probably get carries, more carries from the line of scrimmage than he did last year. But I think Brown is the guy, uh, especially with Martel Irby. Um, I, I think if Martel Irby, if we don't hear that he has returned to practice by next week, probably unlikely that he'd play in the first game. Um, and then we've been hearing good things about, uh, um, about Keegan Jones, uh, the redshirt freshman who's a scat back. Uh, I've heard he's... You know, we've heard from players uh, that he's in our interviews, but I've heard that he's he's getting some time. He's he's getting some chances. Um, what? Let's stop right there. What do you what do you think of what do you think of that? I mean, we we did watch Britton Brown in tape 
of Duke. And I liked how he ran. He's a big guy, you know, probably at least six foot, if not six one. Was injured for a number of seasons. Uh, I don't think he ever really completed a whole season due to injury. Mm-hmm. But um, how do you th- how do you project this? I mean, no one has really jumped out. Like, if we were looking for someone like Jamal McClendon has stepped up and he is he is the guy to replace Joshua Kelly. We haven't really heard that. Yeah, so, I mean the the fact that I think Chip has already acknowledged. I think he almost acknowledged it before the start of practice, but maybe within the first couple of days that Britton Brown looks like they're kind of bell cow back. Um, it gives me a little bit of pause um, because this is a guy who two consecutive years has not finished the season. Uh, his stats have diminished since his freshman year, even in his like per carry kind of yardage. Um, he was a five point four. Yards per carry guy his first year at Duke, and then he was 4.6 and 4.7 uh, the next two years. In again, very limited time. He had 130 carries, so not even a ton his freshman year, but then it was 80 and then 12. So in his career, he has 222 total carries, um, and he's a senior. So there's not a you, you think you're getting a lot of experience there, but there isn't actually that much. Um, and I think he's going to be fine. Like, I think he's going to be a fine back. But we've watched this offense now for two years. When Joshua Kelly hasn't been in, the offense hasn't been good. Um, Is Britton Brown going to be Joshua Kelly? Because that's the real question. This offense has been um, mediocre, and that's with Joshua Kelly, who was clearly the engine pushing that thing. Because the games he missed last year and the games he was not, you know, where he either missed it or wasn't yet Joshua Kelly, the his uh, Chip Kelly's first year, uh, the, the offense was trash. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see if he can replicate that. Um, you know, I, I don't see much in his, either his tape or his just statistical profile that makes me think he's Joshua Kelly. Uh, but maybe he'll be closer than anyone else has been, um, on the UCLA roster to date. So I think you just nailed it right there. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone else who can be that, be that kind of workhorse guy. I watched a lot of tape of Britton Brown and watched it over and over again. It's interesting because he is a big guy. A lot of his highlight tape is is him is him in open space on the edge too. So um, and he's not he's not very shifty. He's more like you know he'll get a hole and he'll just try to get upfield or get outside and get upfield. Um, however, he does it. You need uh, where where Josh Kelly was so important. How often did he look like he was down for two or three yards and then he just got an extra two yards? That, and that was the thing is he always he, he he very rarely got tackled for a loss or no gain. He was always kind of churning a little bit, and then all those little bits he would eventually have like a you know a breakout run, right? Um, and then shiftier than you think. Right, he he would show, he would show you some moves, just to get an extra four or five yards every few carries, which were which though and those yards are key. So, I think we've been saying this for a long time, but it's going to be hard to replace that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah the other thing, Casimir Allen, Casimir Allen has been a curiosity. I mean, that first play from scrimmage, seventy-yard touchdown. Right. It got it got everyone really excited about Casimir Allen's future. And then since then, he hasn't done a whole heck of a lot. 
Yeah, and I, I know last year there were some other extenuating circumstances, but um, you know he he showed flashes in that like brief period he played at the end of last year too. Um, I, I I don't I'm not ready to rule him out as a possibility, um, but. You know, this is a guy who before, if you remember, if you can cast your memory back there, and doesn't it feel like ages ago that it was 2018 and we were all hopeful about the Chip Kelly era? Doesn't that seem like just a, with, a lifetime with, ago? With how things, not just in the context of uh, but the, the world, Chip, Chip everything. Kelly, of everything, everything we've been experiencing, it doesn't even feel like it feels like another lifetime. Yeah. So... Yeah. We were talking about going into that year, if Chip Kelly was running something similar to what he was running at Oregon, Casimir Allen, oh, that's a perfect type of back for him. Like, kind of, you know, this, uh, you know, diminutive, but a complete speedster. He'll find a creative way to use him. He hasn't found a creative way to use him. But if you look at his, again, consistency, not there. But if you look at his statistical profile, I don't know. This is a guy I would want to get on the field. In 43 carries, he has 251 yards in his UCLA career for 5.8 yards per carry. His first year, he had 6.3 yards per carry. And yeah, a lot of that was on one run, but he's <laughs> capable of that one run. Like, th- th- that's the kind of guy you might you might get that really explosive play. And is it worth occasional plays where he gets blown up in the backfield? And that might happen with less consistency going forward. But alternate uh, the, whatever the Oregon version of Chip Kelly not the alternate world version that UCLA has they would have found a, he would have found a way to get this guy on the field um with that kind of speed maybe you don't have him on there for every single type of running play but you would get him on the field so he can get the ball in space and watch him work well um, here's my theory, here's my theory on that you're talking about two different kind of schemes and his old scheme was you wanted a, I mean, it, it was based on a spread. There was, you know, everyone was spread out. You spread the field and you create some some open space and you let really fast guys run to open field. That's kind of what it was, basically. It seems like they've recruited to a conf, some kind of confused notion of what he's doing now compared to what he was. It's almost like, if you really wanted to make this offense work, you, you would have recruited four or five Joshua Kelly types. Yeah, big, right? big dudes. Big Bigger dudes, dudes. But it's almost like he can't help himself. He still wants... No, no, no. St- I, I, think it's, I think it's much more arrogant than that. I think he <laughs> wants to be everything. He believes that they can run an offense that can do anything. And they want to have all the different personnel types to do anything. Okay, I get that. I get that. But it should still. Let's say you have. Let's say you have six tailbacks on scholarship. Four of them should be Joshua Kelly, and two should be scat back because that's how the the carries would be broken down, right? That's what you should have. They have Demetric Felton, who's more of a scat back, not a bigger guy. You've got Casimir Allen, Keegan Jones, Christian Grubb. You got four of those guys. Who are scatbacks and Martel Irby? That's, I mean, he's kind of in the middle, right? I, I mean, I don't even know what he is. So, they he hasn't re, he's recruited like he. You're right that he still thinks he wants to do it all when he kind of doesn't have the offense that provides that opportunity. There, but there isn't like unless you're. I mean, crap. I, I don't know Florida State <laughs> when Jimbo Fisher was there or. One of these offenses where you truly do have like top five talent across the board, you can't do that offense. And it's the 
it's the thing that's going to make him run his head against the wall. And obviously they've recruited at such a fail rate that it doesn't like whatever they could try to run a spread right now. And it probably wouldn't work that well. Um, but unless you recruit at a top five level, you can't do it. Like unless you're, I don't know, Boise state with that system continuity where they can do a wide variety of things. Like when Peterson was there, because they just had that system continuity where they were teaching this system every year for like 10 years, chip's not going to have that kind of time. And frankly, there's no evidence yet that it's going to be anywhere near as successful as what uh, Chris Peterson was doing at Boise state. So I, I, I think that's part of it, but I think you're right too. I think it's partially confusion. I think they've, they've had a lot of failure in recruiting. I think that's a big part of it. And some of these guys, I mean, I'm not going to name names right now, but some of these guys were late takes because I think they needed to fill out a class. Um, well, we, should, we shouldn't even talk about I mean, we could do a whole podcast about yeah. running back recruiting. And there's, uh, no, I, and there's I, no need to get into like the specifics of it because I think you can just generally say, looking at that depth chart, the fact that there are in whatever, that how many scholarship guys are there? I don't even have the seven. depth chart. Seven, seven dudes. Um, the fact that, uh, I don't know, six of them, five of them are complete unknowns at this stage is that's a, that's a fail. And that's not on any of them. That's on a staff not evaluating and not recruiting and not doing all this stuff correctly. Um, they should, we should have a better idea what the talent looks like right now. And the fact that they're still recruiting running back aggressively, they had to bring in Britton Brown this year, uh, makes me think that they, they've acknowledged that failure to some extent. Yeah. Because every year they are trying to bring in two running backs. That usually is a signal, a sign that we're not happy with the guys that we've seen in practice. Totally. Um, a, a couple of things on this. It's why I have to admit I secretly was rooting for Cole Kinder <laughs> to win the starting spot. Because among the seven guys... Because it would have been funny. Oh, my gosh. Among the seven guys, he's the walk-on. Yeah. There are six scholarship guys in him. This That would have been, that would have been so beautiful. I, I can't even say it. Um, the other thing that I've been mulling around that I'm going to write a story about, I've just got to get it exactly right. And we've talked so much about how Chip Kelly Chip Kelly hasn't lived up to expectation in so many ways. And you know, I've said it before, it's a lot of it is just winning. You know, if he had if he had just posted seven wins last year, I could see everything kind of falling a little bit in place. Like you could sell the upside of the of the program, your whole selectivity when it comes to offers, people will buy in because you you would have gone from three and nine to seven and five, so you can see that it's going up. But three and nine to four and eight kind of seems like the same season, especially since you ended the season on a worse note than you did on the three and nine. So while I can, you can always attribute to that if he had just won. And why didn't he win? Did he? Is it because the defense? Well, obviously, it's because the defense wasn't very good. And is it because he hired a friend of his, a defensive coordinator? Yes, 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 yes. But the other issue here is his approach to recruiting, and we can argue or discuss limiting a uh, limited number of offers, how they go about it, the very, very deliberate way that they go through the evaluation and offer. But very simply, if they had evaluated, evaluated enough guys, brought in enough guys that they evaluated and they thought were really good while other programs didn't. They out-evaluated everyone. We should see that in his third year right now. We should see some juniors who 
played, let's say, last year in a backup role and flashed, and now they're ready to step up, and we would say, hey, that guy looked pretty good. This team is chock full of unknown freshmen and sophomores, and they're just, he hasn't, he's, I'm going to say it, he's just come up massively short in not his approach to recruiting, but literally in bringing in guys that are talented enough to turn around his program. It's not, we, like I said, we can argue endlessly about the whole process, but if they're saying this is our process and we're doing it this way because we are going to out-evaluate and bring in talented guys, we should be seeing that by now. And, we we're, and, and we're not. But also, and this is, I think, a key point, um, often three years into a coaching tenure, you know who are your seniors? Guys you didn't elect to jettison from the program uh, when you came on board. Um, you know what? I'm even going to throw that out, Dave. I'm just saying after three, we're talking three cycles of recruiting, he should have the guys in place enough to get a winning record at UCLA. Yeah, I guess what I'm That's saying is, is just going back to, and this is maybe the last time I'll have the opportunity to make this argument because we're getting pretty far from it now, but if your plan is to not recruit the way UCLA can recruit, meaning a top 10, top 5 level, whatever you want to call it, um, then you've got to do what you can to maintain your program numbers uh, because it's going to be a long build, not a short build. You're not going to have the whatever Kenny Clarks who are going to play as true freshmen. You're not going to have these dudes um, who are maybe going to come in and play as true freshmen. So you really have to be focused on maintaining a level of continuity and experience in your program, which was not the focus. So the fact that this is a, a rebuild and some of these guys still aren't ready to play in their third year, or we don't know whether or not they're ready to play in their third year. Well, there were a lot of ways to solve this problem and they didn't all have to be solved through recruiting. Uh, you could have solved it three years ago and deciding maybe we got to plan ahead for the fact that, you know, this roster might take some time to build. Because maybe a lot of these dudes, I mean, we talked about it last week, especially that linebacker group. There's some guys we're excited about um, who might take some time. Even in that offensive line group, I would say there's some guys that, oh, you know, you could talk me into these guys as seniors, you know, four or five year players. Yeah, totally. Um, but maybe not as third year guys. And if there'd been, you know, some foresight there that they were recruiting that kind of team and that's the program that they want to be, um, you know, more like a Wisconsin than anything uh, resembling that in the Pac-12, then, you know, you got to plan accordingly. And they didn't. And it's been a it's been a failure of, of roster management from the jump. I mean, I, right now, just looking at the Raider position, which we're calling it now, that defensive, that hybrid defensive end outside linebacker. He should have a redshirt sophomore or a true junior who's had some talent, who's had some experience playing and has some talent. And you'd say, we saw him play last year and he's ready to maybe step up. Currently, right now, there are five guys at that position. Four are true freshmen and one's a redshirt freshman. There's just, there's, and if, if you go through all the linebackers and, and we're going to count that outside linebacker Raider as a linebacker. There is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are nine freshmen or redshirt freshmen among 
13 guys. And there is one, one truly known quantity, I think, in the entire group, and that's Lenny Toa And then Carl Jones is a semi-known. Like we and don't... he's not, I'm not, he, I'm not counting him there because he's part of the striker yeah. start. Yeah. But it's still so, like, there's, there's no knowns. Like I, I made this analogy before, but when we walked into Jim Mora's first year and um, Eric Kendricks was going to be the starting middle linebacker after not really being the starter the previous year, um, after platooning with, God, I forget the name. Uh, but anyway, he wasn't really the starter uh, the previous year. We, we had no concerns, absolutely none, because we knew watching him, and this is him rising as a redshirt sophomore at that point, so his third year, we knew, okay, yep. that's a dude. That guy's going to be that, a dude. That's what I mean. You just hit it right there. That's what they should have. And we Those have Bo Calvert, guys. who we have not seen. Bo Calvert we, might be a guy. We don't well, know. We haven't seen him. Let's even count Bo Calvert. Let's just say he, Bo Calvert, even though we haven't seen him as much as we saw Eric Kendrick, let's just say he's that same. He falls in that category. There should this this roster should be chock full of those guys. It's either it's it's all un. Uh, there's a massive miss in the class from about two the three years ago, uh, the first year and the second year of. Com- guys that just are not contributing uh, not enough guys have contributed to the program right now that you would foresee as contributors this year like an Eric Kendrick that you would say that guy's ready to step up and be a guy because from what we saw of him it's it's amazing it's amazing and what my I gotta emphasize it one more time this is his this is their recruiting approach we are not going to get the five-star guy we are going to develop guys. So when you're developing, you better be really good at personnel management. You bring in guys, you bring them along, you get them a taste of playing, and by at least that third year, their redshirt sophomore year, they're really ready to contribute. And you just don't you don't see those guys here. Yeah, and the it's, proof will be in the pudding to an extent because, again, we haven't seen them. If there is some truth to the idea that they are going to outdevelop everyone, this is the year we have to see it. We're going to have to see it on the field. This will be the proof here. And if we don't see it on the field, that is an indictment. That is a that is a striking failure. You know, I, you can give I, them a pass yeah. on two years because obviously it takes some time if you've got under talented guys to build them up. But if the idea is you're going to develop five star level players or develop high four star level players out of three star guys then you got to see it on the field eventually. And that has to start in the third year for some of these dudes. Has to. And, and you know what? I'm getting back to like my halfway review, and I'm up to tight end. And I've got a prime example. David Preby is a redshirt sophomore tight end. He's the typical guy. That, they and, you did know, remember, measurables. Measurables. They went for measurables. And I, and I get it. There are plenty of measurables. There's him, Stephen Mason, you know, all these guys that are big athletes. David Preeby, Stephen Mason, these are guys that just really have to perform this year. And we've heard some actually, I mean, some players have said David Preeby has taken a step up. Of course, it's fall camp. There's a lot of sunshine. There's a lot of steps up. Yeah, in fall camp. But David Preeby will be a guy. I mean, because right now you got Michael Martinez, who – uh, you know, he was a highly ranked recruit. He should be a good player over the course of his four yeah. to five seasons at UCLA. Greg Dulcich, former walk-on who you love. Let's just say those are – you need a guy. David Preeby, you, this is going to be huge for the tight ends 
that you're actually a playable guy. You, it, what, he wasn't last year. So redshirt sophomore year, this is it. Um, that's, that's where it's, <laughs> it's amazing where that this is where it stands. And it, it could be, it could, if Chip Kelly meets his demise at one point, we might look at it that it was just really bad personnel management. Yeah, well, that that's going to be the tale of it. I mean, yeah, all the on-field stuff aside, well, it is a comprehensive failure because you can't just put that yes. aside. Um, but I think ultimately, you can succeed at a replacement level for long for a long period of time if you manage your roster pretty well. And at UCLA, it shouldn't be that big of a challenge. Like, you should be able to get talent in the program. They shouldn't have to wash out at a huge rate. And unless you're, like, an absolute disaster of a coach, which, frankly, I think he's demonstrated on the field so far, but even if we say he's average, you can still be okay for a while. I, I still think he would eventually it would have crapped out, but if he recruited at a Rick Neuheisel level, I think he would have had slightly better than Rick Neuheisel's success. Um, yeah. So, that that and that's the, you know, that's going to be a big... Uh, you know, I don't even know if there's a, a, applicable what ifs about this whole era because everything was so weird and bad, um, is so weird and bad roster management, what they're trying to do on the field. Um, and now let's transition a little bit, Tracy, what okay, they're baby. going to do defensively, uh, yes. because we've seen, uh, two years of kind of Chip Kelly's 3-4 that he adapted from his Oregon style uh, with Jerry Azanaro, uh coming in. And it's been, I don't know, relatively passive and then very weirdly aggressive at inopportune moments. Um, and just, I, I would say, scheme-wise, I don't know how qualified I am. I would say that it has been a, um oddly called defense um, and uh, has been largely unsuccessful. Um, led to, I think, the absolute uh, degradation of a huge part of the roster last year, including in the secondary, where every single person got worse. And when every single person in a position group gets worse, uh, I don't think it's the position group. I think it's the scheme. So, Well, here, here's the other thing when it comes to scheme. When they came in, it was a 3-4, Jerry Azanero's defense. That, and I, we've talked about this before, that is what you're recruiting for on the defensive line is a 6'3", 325-pound nose tackle. And then long And dudes. then long dudes is defensive end. And that's your defensive line. They have gone... So that was their concept. And amazingly enough, it was absolutely misconceived and antiquated. Because that was the defense they used at Oregon. And they didn't... They didn't update themselves, and it and it literally took them until partially halfway through last season. Remember when they they went Started to running a bunch more nickel and nickel smaller and smaller, linemen. faster guys. Yeah. Um, then they decided to fully embrace it, and they bring in Brian Norwood for the four two five, which really, really, truly embraces that smaller, faster guys. Like if you haven't read it already, go and read Chris Osgood's. Uh, uh, detailed-oriented breakdown of the four-two-five, uh, basing it on, uh, well, basing on TCU's defense, basing on Navy's defense, where Brian Norwood, UCLA's defensive uh, coach, uh, defense defensive backs coach, comes from. Uh, so you can anticipate what this is going to look like, and it's basically 
Um, what did he say? Safe, uh, safeties or corners. <laughs> you know, everyone goes down a notch, right? Uh, I'm sorry, corners become safeties. Safeties become linebackers. Linebackers become defensive ends. It's yeah, all... the whole idea is getting speed on the field. Um, largely, it's an exploit for um, relatively under-talented programs. Um, you know, this is... Very similar system as what Washington State was running a few years ago when they got good on defense. Um, you, you try to get a ton of speed on the field, and you try to get more aggressive, more upfield. Um, my big thing here – so the hope here, I would say, is that it ends up being functionally what Dwayne Walker did for Carl Durrell, um, which was basically extend his tenure at UCLA a year uh, because that defense in 2006 was – just good enough to give everyone a shot of hope at the end of that year when they knocked off USC. And I think the hope is that Brian Norwood, um, you know, first, I, I think we're, we're still taking it a little bit on faith that they're going to let him have quite a role in organizing this defense. I have, uh, so some of these interviews, like I think one of the first ones, I, I forget, I think it was with Tyler Manoa where he's like, well, he's the defensive backs coach. So I don't really hear from him too much. So I'm hoping in meetings or whatever between the coaches that he's having more input because if we see anything that resembles the defense from the last two years out there on the field, it's going to be really bad again. Yeah, um, but there, there have been other guys like Obi Ebo literally broke it down for us. <laughs> yeah, but he's in yeah. that room. Um, yeah. So it, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of impact he has team-wide on the defensive end. But um, if he doesn't, if they don't make a big change, I think that's, you know, whoa. You know, if it's just a package that they're adding to this, you know, well, I can bountiful say, I, defense. I mean, the, one of the biggest indications were those three practices in spring, and not just that they were running this four-two-five in that same Navy style. They changed individual drills. Uh, they they changed the position of a lot of players and who they were being coached by, on you know at different you know at different points on the field. Yeah, they're I think they're coming. With, they're coming in yeah. with the idea. I think that they're going to be running a nickel um, for sure. Yeah. I'm. I'm just interested to see how much because I think you've got some egos going on. I. I think the decision to not bump as an arrow down a notch to defensive line coach or whatever and maintain him as the defensive coordinator. I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting if they can all sublimate their egos and say, okay, Norwood, you're, you're installing your entire thing and you're going to have freedom to kind of tell us how to run it. Then that's great. And that's wonderful. And, but when has it ever worked like that? And then how about game day calling plays yeah, on the headset? That's the thing is, I mean, so much of what was, I mean, we're, look again, somebody would have to with like a, a degree in this stuff would have to break the whole thing down. But like that defense schematically, yeah, I mean, there's some issues for sure. The the corners playing way off, guys. I get it. Yeah, but if that defense had been called a little bit better, I don't know. That maybe that thing could have been successful. I don't. I mean, I think a lot of defenses can be successful if they're called well. Some conservative Tampa two defense where they're just staying back can be good if it's called well. I don't think it was called well. Um, so if they're running with the same play calling structure, even if it is a new scheme and, and all these dazzling, you know, new position changes, it could still be bad because it's the same leadership. Um, yeah. So hopefully Norwood has a big role. Um, hopefully he is the de facto defensive coordinator. I'm just, you know, looking at the actual listing of the coaches and looking at the fact that J Jerry Azanaro still has that title. 
that just gives me a little bit of pause about the whole two, thing. Two interesting things happened when Brian Norwood was hired, and we brought this up before. Yeah. <laughs> co-defensive he, coordinator, baby. Co-defensive coordinator on his Twitter page. But the only thing, it. the only thing I would think there, and this is something I thought about actually last week, is he was the co-defensive coordinator at Navy. He may have still been changing his profile. Oh, um, well, maybe. So it might very well have been that you know, and that's not to say that this is not de facto what he was offered because defensive passing game coordinator is a meaningless title, um, and. I, I think that's a way of giving him a bump, but also he's also, I think, what, co-head coach or assistant head coach, something like that? Yeah, I don't know. It's a long title. But there's there's elements of this where he's a guy who a lot of people speak very highly of him. He's on the fast track to being a defensive coordinator and then a head coach at some point. So for a guy like that to take a role at UCLA that would be a step down seems like a that, that seems like a reach to me. I don't think he would have done that. So I have to imagine there's some element of this where he was pitched on, and I think the stuff you saw in spring speaks to it, uh, changing this defense and having a big role in how it handles. I just, the the proof for that, as with so much about this roster and this team, is going to be in the pudding. Like, what, what does this look like when they actually get on the field? How is it called? And are, is there going to be that immediate noticeable effect that we saw with, again, kind of going back to the analogy, Dwayne Walker in 2006? Where, oh, wow, this defense is completely different from that Larry Kerr piece of crap. They're, they're, they're really firing. They're going after guys. Um, suddenly there's you know dudes who can actually get after the quarterback at defensive end. Like, we might see that. Um, and I think we would all be glad to see that because um, watching the death by a thousand cuts or one big knifing has not been fun on the defensive end. Um, but it's just, you know, I'm... I'm a little gun shy because I, I think it usually requires a real change to make something like that happen. And I did not see a change in leadership. It's just another guy who's an assistant coach, but whatever authority still rests with Arizonaro is a worry to me. I personally think, and I don't know this, this is pure speculation, but just from ob- observing and a few things I've heard, I I think, I think Norwood is, is going to take over most of the role of defensive coordinator. I think Jerry Azanero is retaining the title because he just literally didn't want to shame his friend that he went from coordinator to defensive line coach or to, if he takes that title away, what he coached in spring, the position he coached was the star striker position. That's the position. So he's the striker coach. That would be it. I I think he let him retain that, but I think you. Uh, they went to go. They went to go get Norwood to change the scheme. W- moving on, we digressed right in the middle of our semi halfway update, and since we're on defense, let's go with that. Uh, I've heard Oso Digazua looks be- looks good, easily the best, like you would expect, uh, best defensive player on the field. Uh, it appears uh, Mitchell Agude, the JC transfer has moved from that Raider outside linebacker spot to the dedicated hand down defensive end spot. On one hand, he's undersized at 245 pounds, but he he's pretty yoked. He's he's like number one on the yoked preseason yoked chart. And uh UCLA needs I mean he's a junior. They they need defensive linemen. Um there's the that Raider spot that he left is completely up for grabs. Uh, Miles Jackson and Agude were kind of platooning in the ones in spring. Uh, Miles Jackson might be the guy 
who who gets that, but there's Damian Sellers and uh, Shea Bryant Strother, John Ward, who's a redshirt sophomore, and Iho Lani Ross is another true freshman. That's literally <laughs> all freshman and redshirt freshman. That's the position we we're talking about. Uh, at that striker spot is Carl Jones, but we've heard Quantrez Knight has looked very good. Um, and a few players have actually said that. Uh, also mentioned that Jake Newman, we anticipated one of the safeties that they took in 2020 would move to that spot. And it took Jake Newman about uh, a week and a half, probably of fall camp to be moved there. Uh, speaking of uh, being moved, redshirt freshman wide receiver came Madrana was moved to the will which we have to say, and we've repeated it again and again, but when we're right, we have to keep repeating it. We called that when we saw him at the UCLA camp going into his senior high, high school senior year that he didn't think he was a receiver, but he was a linebacker. As you said, uh, Langi Toaloa, I would think he's getting that start, even though he might be pushed by Caleb Johnson, uh, the JC guy who went to Texas for a semester, the spring. Um, when we, when we talked to Toaloa, he said Kenny Mestador was also at the will, which is interesting because that would only leave two scholarship guys at the mic, which is Bo Calvert and a true freshman in Jeremiah Trojan. I know those positions, they're coaching them like they're interchangeable. Like maybe Lenny, if anything happened to Bo Calvert, Lenny Toaloa could move over there. But it, it it's shocking and a bit <laughs> shocking and stunning that they recruited so many guys in this class, and you're still looking. You're looking at middle linebacker and saying, "Damn, that's thin." Um, yep. Mo Osling was at the striker position in spring. We think he's moved back to safety, probably competing with Stephen Blaylock at that more strong safety spot. Uh, Rayshad Williams is locked down his spot at a corner. Obibo, the transfer from Stanford, we heard is is competing with Jay Shaw, who was the starter at the other corner spot in spring. Uh, then the kicking game, um, a redshirt freshman walk on, who's never kicked the ball in a game, Nicholas Barmira, is penciled in as the starter at kicker and punter. That's the scholar, the scholarship freshman kicker punter, uh, Luke Akers has faltered a bit. Um, I haven't heard in the last, you know, this is literally with kickers and punters, they can turn it around in a week. You know, they're a little shaky and they get the snap down and the, and the rhythm. And, and we haven't heard anything in over in a week on Luke Akers. Colin Flintoff sitting out the season puts some stress here because he, he had a little bit, you know, he's been in the program a little bit longer. It could be that you're going to have a, when, when has a program had a walk on, Redshirt freshman as both the starting kicker and punter. I'm sure Alabama's done it because they don't bother recruiting kickers. Um, but other than that, no, it's not good. Certainly More, not at UCLA. UCLA is kicker you, baby. Another example of, at this point, third year, you, you, should, have, you should have a kicker who's and a punter who are you know, who are prepared to step in right now. But, okay. Um, so that's that. 
that's kind of all we know at the halfway point. I'm sure there's a ton more. Um, we're going to try to, you know, we're going to dress up as Martin Jarman. I got my Martin Jarman costume and I'm going to walk on campus and go watch from lot eight. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything else about, about football that you'd like to talk about, Dave? Um, we can, we can transition to football recruiting if you want, because I know there's a little, little tidbit that you're very excited about. I'm, I'm excited just because I don't even know if I would call it excited. I'm just UCLA to me, if you're tickled pink, we're, we're looking at the depth chart and saying, wow, look at that. They're going to lose seven guys over the course of the next two years. Seven. That's, that's a lot of guys. So um, you would think they'd be compensating, and if they don't have a lot of scholarships in this class, a lot of them would go to defensive linemen. Uh, they have one guy committed, um, uh, the kid from New Mexico, but in the last week or so, week and a half, they've offered two defensive linemen in the 2021 class. Uh, not that they necessarily will have a really good shot at them, but Maybe they do. We don't know. We're trying to get a hold of these guys. They're out-of-state guys. It's not like dudes that Brandon Huffman, you know, is friends with their family like he is with every West Coast guy. Um, Joshua Farmer from Appa, Appala, Chicola, Florida, Gadsden County. Nothing against Farmer, but I kind of hope UCLA doesn't get him because I just I just don't want to type that anymore. No, um, and it, honestly, I'm going to speak for everyone listening. Pretty Appala- brutal, pretty brutal pronunciation. Okay, same. do it. Do I, I'm not going to do it. Appalachicola? Appalachicola. 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 Okay, we got it. Uh, and Keith Cooper from Dickinson, Texas. <laughs> Easy enough. Uh, offer those two guys. Farmers verbally committed to Florida State has been since January. Kind of feeling from people down there is that he's still a little open. Maybe looking around, UCLA might not be that late on him. If he's still a little open, even though he's committed elsewhere, uh, Keith Cooper is kind of one of those late blooming linebackers, six four two twenty five kind of guy, who is. I talked to our our guy uh, Gabe Brooks, the twenty four seven guy down in Texas, said you know physically he's really intriguing. He's got a good frame, still needs to fill out UCLA's again. These are two guys, 6'3", 6'4", 230 to 250 will end up – they are – they are their blueprint right now is Oso Digazua. 6'3", <laughs> 275, 6'4", 275, kind of a guy that can move around on the defensive end, fast, quick, not that 320-pound defensive lineman. Um, so, yeah, they did offer those guys, and that's just – that was good to see just because, obviously, you look at that depth chart and say, wow, man, they need to recruit some defensive linemen. And they haven't been to that extent. They have missed on a few defensive linemen, but now they actually offered a couple of guys. And they haven't offered a lot of guys during the lockdown. So that was at least encouraging that some offers went out. Very encouraging indeed, Tracy. <laughs> Let's talk about basketball. Yeah, please. Please. Woo-hoo. Okay, so, wow, practice started. Practice started. 
we're a couple of weeks in. We talked our our guy Mick Cronin. Our guy Mickey. Uh, no. Our guy Mickey. No. Uh, he says very interesting things. He does. He always does. He can talk a long time, but it's amazing because it's all very interesting. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, Would it be interesting if he wasn't uh, good at coaching basketball? Um, I think inherently some of the things he's saying are interesting. So, yes, but not as interesting because since he can coach basketball, I'm more interested. Yeah, yes. It's sort of like the Rick Neuheisel thing, you know, how it was interesting and it was fun and it was good. And then, you know, by the yes. third year, fourth year of being pretty bad, it was not good. But Mick Cronin, good at coaching basketball, so it will remain interesting for the foreseeable future. You know, every time I walked into a scrum, though, with with Neuheisel, even at the end, you were still thinking something could be said that would be interesting. Oh, right? yeah, totally. Yeah. Some yeah. phrase, even. Just some, yeah. you know, fill, fill in the, the gaps of time with some interesting turn of phrase. Passion bucket. Yeah, oh, that's so good. Burn the boats. Um, so basketball has been picked. Well, like uh, power rankings, UCLA has been at the top. I think one came out today. They had second behind Arizona State. Um, that just makes me feel that for the first time in how many football and basketball seasons do we have a team that is being picked at the top or near the top of the conference that we're going in. It's such an unfamiliar feeling. You're going in feeling this is going to be a good team. I'm still trying to get my head around this. I mean, when was the last time? 2014 football? When in basketball? 2016? I don't. I think 2016. I don't think they were picked first. I can't. I have to go back and look. Maybe they were. Uh, but that was such a weird one-off, and I think everyone going into it knew it was such a weird one-off that it doesn't feel the same way this does. Okay, so this four seasons of basketball and six of football. So ten cumulative seasons that UCLA. Well, and, the, and I, I do want the last time you had the same feeling about UCLA basketball was I don't know after the first Final Four. Like, that was the last time, 2007, where it felt this way. And people wonder why UCLA fans have BBS. I mean, yeah. it, I, I got to give a shout-out to everyone who's still there. It's amazing that you guys have hung on. You are you – are, you've got some metal. I got to tell you, UCLA fans. Or it's, sadists. I, I mean, it's not like – let's put it this way. There are programs out there that are perennial lower half of their conference, and the fans hang in because it's an entertaining thing to do. That's not UCLA fans. UCLA fans are used to winning at a certain level, and now they haven't. You would think a UCLA fan, being from L.A., would jump off, the, jump off that bandwagon so fast, and they haven't. I don't know. I'm just impressed. I'm impressed with UCLA fans. I got to tell you. I am, too. Um, okay. So basketball, yeah, picked very high, um, right there with ASU with most rankings I've seen so far. Um, I think that's been generally acknowledged to be the top two in the conference. UCLA, I think, has a, uh, I don't know, the continuity for UCLA, I think, gives them the heads up from the, the, the jump ahead from ASU for me. Um, and ASU, I think, as you pointed out just before we started talking, like who's going to play in the post for them? Uh, right. They they obviously return a pretty good nucleus in Remy Martin and Lonzo Verge and 
That's Dijon a five guard, five guard lineup. Yeah, Dijon but it's Chara yeah they're going to have to play. They'll probably have to play somewhat small. So it's I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. I think ASU is good, um, but I think UCLA, if they can pick up somewhere near where they left off, I don't know, man. I, I think it should be a, 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 a pretty definitive favorite um, right. rather than kind of neck and neck with ASU. And I understand it's still an unknown. Uh, UCLA, I think a lot of people only have basically a 12-game surge at the end of the season to go on. Um, but if you were watching and you were like paying attention to those games, it suddenly looked like an entirely different team. So I think a lot of people were, and I think that speaks to, you know, I think Rothstein had him really high, but I think a few others did too. Um, but if you weren't quite paying attention, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the neck and neck with ASU. Sure. Um, I think one of the most encouraged, obviously, you interview Mick Cronin, he gives it to you pretty straight. He really does. But he's also going to be positive about his guys. Um, you interview players, they're going to be po- But the one thing that I took something from was when we interviewed Jake Kyman, and he said in practice, he actually – now, Jake Kyman was the best shooter on the team last year, best three-point shooter, and it wasn't really close. But he actually said in practice – David Singleton and Johnny Juzang are right there with him. Um, and in my mind, Jake Kyman is the best three-point shooter in the team. If Jake Kyman, I think he's saying that he's being nice, but he is acknowledging that it was those three guys who were always out at about 40% in practice. That's really encouraging from a lot of standpoint. We've heard David Singleton has come back in the best physical condition of his life. He's shooting the ball a lot better, potentially like he did as a freshman. And then Johnny Juzang is among the best shooters on the team. So, like we've said before, if if this team can just shoot a lot better from the outside, what that does for its offense and opening up lanes, opening up the block for the bigs, it's that's that's a huge difference maker for me. Um, if you took Jake Kyman away last year, who did you think when they caught the ball from the outside was going to make their three? Yeah, I mean, it was Kyman. Um, I think there were times where Singleton shot it pretty well, and then there were times where it looked completely rushed and awful. Yeah. There was a stretch where Chris Smith suddenly got it going from three and was shooting it really well. But, no, it was it was Kyman pretty consistently last year. And if they have even two really consistent shooters um, who are playing considerable minutes, that's going to be huge. Um, and if you get three... And frankly, Chris Smith, I, I don't anticipate him being a 40% guy this year, but he improved a lot last year. I could see him being well north of 35% this year. I think the shooting that was a major concern going into last year is suddenly not going to be one. Um, and, you know, that offense could be a little bit tough to watch at times because they weren't hitting shots. And they. I, I think the one other thing I'll be watching for is creation, you know, from like Chris Smith. Has he tightened his handle? Um you know, is he going to be able to just do those ISO plays that Cronin likes to do um, in crunch time situations? Um, because a lot was put on Tiger Campbell to do that after a while last year because Smith, you know, he was getting he was getting picked a lot. Um, and I think it really, really tired Campbell by the end of the year. If some of that weight can come off him in those ISO spots and doing different things, then I think this offense could be pretty good. Um, you know what it also is with Chris Smith and – uh, Chris said it in his interview, as did Coach Cronin. He's his next step in his game, and he called it consistency. But it's also 
being the guy where every game you just say, I'm, I'm just taking this team. I'm going out. I'm going to score 22 tonight. I'm just doing it. Yep. You know, Aaron Holiday. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, Aaron Holiday just that one season, man. His yeah. Embrace, day, right? embrace your junior Aaron Holiday. Exactly. If Chris, I think Chris Smith's a really nice kid. He's got to get nasty. He's got to yeah. just assert himself, bring it every game. That makes a big difference for this team, too. Yeah. But all um, of that is very exciting. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think, Bruin fans, you deserve to channel all of that great fan energy in to the first team in conservatively 10 football and basketball seasons going into it that you could say you're anticipating them competing for a conference championship. And if you have, and if you have just a little bit of energy left to channel after you've done like pushing it into positive feelings about UCLA, maybe save a little bit for a little bit of Schadenfreude, Schadenfreude against uh, against uh, Arizona for what's yes. about to come, uh, and yeah. what what has come, what eventually, has come. maybe. Yes, you know what? It's Friday morning right now. Yeah, um, I'm gonna look. <laughs> I'm going to look up right now to see if the news came out last um, night, last night. Um, uh, no, nothing out. No, nothing came out as of right now. Last night from last night, from last but night. I know your, your Google machine. It sometimes only works at about like 4 PM the previous day when we're recording at this time. Yes. So, yeah. But anyway, as of 4 PM on Thursday, yesterday, uh, Arizona had just been informed that it was going to receive the uh, the formal uh, NCAA allegations, which may be arriving, may have arrived last night, Thursday. And October since 24th. they will maybe have arrived, the interesting part of it, even we shouldn't get into details because they will be out there, is is how much Sean Miller, the head coach, is actually named in this. If he is if if the NCAA believed whether he didn't know anything about Book Richardson and everything he was doing and any other money deals, or if you, if the NCAA doesn't believe any of that and thinks, comes away with the conclusion that Sean Miller knew all about it. That's kind of the biggest significant element, which you all probably might know by now. Yeah. So there you go. But yeah, that's, um, very interesting, too, because as of right now, Arizona only has one commitment, correct, from uh, K.J. Simpson. Yep. Who, wow, I mean, yeah. Well, let's not talk too much about it because everyone already knows about well, it. Well, so we still don't, digest, we don't as yes. we are, we're all still digesting the news Yes. Um, here on Friday morning. Yes. So. Okay. Well, that was tight. It was streamlined. It was a beautiful show. I think a lot of good things happened on it. Um, you know, I think we each gave our best, and we let the chips fall where they may. Yes, that those chips they just they fell. fell where they where they might. Fun though that within a few weeks you're going to get football, and then seriously, November seventh, boom, football, basketball, November twenty fifth. So exciting! So much fun! Wow, that's crazy! It's bonkers. Yes. Well, All right. thanks, thanks for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. You UCLA fans are amazing for hanging in to not only being a UCLA fan 
but this monotonous podcast that you just yeah no and 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 you've hung in for many years of not just being a fan of ucla but listening to me talk about ucla which i think everyone deserves like i don't know a pat on the back and maybe some antidepressants if you if you got them ship them to me i need them while i'm flying around in my jetpack over la oh yeah absolutely All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson up there in the stars above you, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. Take care out there.